0: a seat. A couple weeks ago over spring break I rewatched a movie that I haven't watched in a really long time. It's the movie Miracle. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie or not but Miracle is about the 1980s U.S. hockey team who ends up defeating the Soviet team in one of the biggest upsets in sports history. The U.S. Uh, uh, or the hockey team excuse me this Olympic team Uh, They were made up of amateurs and college-aged professionals, and yet they were playing the Soviet team that no one has beaten in years. No one thought they could win, and finally they do, and then, spoiler alert, they go on to win the gold medal in the eighty Olympics. And in the middle of this game, uh, Al Michaels, who's the commentator, many of us recognize him on Sunday Night Football, uh, he is talking to the nation, and towards the end, when he can tell that they're going to win this game, He says a phrase that many of us probably have heard throughout the years. He shouts out to the nation, do you believe in miracles? At that point, I think everyone in the nation probably responded with, yes, we believe in miracles. But let me ask you that question this morning. Do you believe in miracles? See, we live in a world where it's very fact-based and logical and scientific and oftentimes there may not be room for miracles. Can they happen today? Well, I want to look at a definition that I think will really be helpful in understanding what a miracle really is. This comes from the Baker Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. Say that twice. And in this theology dictionary, this is how it defines what a miracle is. Although English speakers regularly use miracle to refer to broad range of wondrous events... The biblical concept is limited to those not explainable solely by natural processes, but which required the direct causal agency of a supernatural being, usually God. So I think when Al Michaels used that phrase, miracle, I don't think he really believed that God came down and performed a miracle for the U.S. hockey team to win. I don't think I've ever seen a sports miracle, the only one that we will know is from God himself is when the Browns win a Super Bowl, but let me tell you, it will be such a miracle that you and I will not be able to go to the parade because Jesus has returned at that point and we will be with him forever. That is truly a miracle. But do we believe in what the Bible says a miracle is, does God truly and supernaturally bend the laws of nature in order to have his presence known to us in this world. You see, many of us may think that can happen. Others of us, we may think, you know what, if there is a God, he probably created this world, but he kind of sits back on his throne and it kind of allows things to happen, but doesn't really intervene. He doesn't allow miracles to happen today like they did back then. But when we read scripture, you can't help but see miracles happening all the time. Especially when you get to the Gospels and you see Jesus walking on water, taking a boy's lunch and replicating that for thousands. We see miracles. So can they still happen today? If you are an atheist or an agnostic or a skeptic, you probably would say, you know what? There isn't a God and if there is, I don't really know if he can perform miracles. And so my question back to you would be, what do you do when something happens that you can't explain? And lots of times people will say, well, that's a coincidence. I mean, this had to happen and this ha- happened. yes, but it just happened at the same time. That doesn't mean there's proof that God miraculously intervened. What I would say back to you is I understand it's, Hard to believe in miracles, especially in our day and age, but what if Albert Einstein was correct? When one of the greatest scientists of all times says, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. I like that quote. See, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a miraculous story in the Bible. And what I'm asking you today is to think about, could miracles happen today? And my thesis for our time together isn't to prove if miracles can happen, but rather a miracle must happen, and it must happen for you and I. So the question is, do you believe in miracles? Let's find out together. We're in the book of Acts, and so open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Uh, You can open it on your phone and yes, it'll be on the screen for you, but I'm really asking you to bring your Bible every week because the more we're in our own Bibles, the more we'll probably read it on Monday as well. And so bring your Bible and let's dig into the scriptures together. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 3 verse 1. Here's the story. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going in to the temple. So we don't know this guy's name, but we know that this guy was born physically handicapped. He has never walked in his entire life, and so he is dependent upon people helping him get to where he needs to be. And because he has a physical handicap where he can't walk, he doesn't have money. He can't have a job. And so every day, family or friends bring him to the the front of the temple known as the beautiful gate. And it's there where this man sits and asks these God-worshippers for money. Now, I wanted to show you just a rendering of what the temple would have looked like. It was a huge place where people would go to worship God. And at the the front of that, I try to highlight it in pink there for you. It's called the Beautiful Gate or the Gate Beautiful. And it's called the Beautiful Gate because it was adorned with silver and gold. This was gorgeous. And all God worshipers would walk through that gate. And so this guy wanted to be positioned right where people were at. And he was just hoping that people would look down on him and show benevolence to him because they're going to worship God. Maybe they will give him something, anything, in order to get by day by day. I remember when we moved to Grand Rapids, my wife and I, we were living in an apartment almost in downtown Grand Rapids. And you would have to get off an exit and then right to the right was our apartment complex. You could see it from the road. Oftentimes, when you would come off the exit, and you would go left, right there at the corner, oftentimes homeless people would be there with a sign that says, I'm hungry, and I need money, and whatever they would be. I remember one day, I would see numerous people there, and for a long time, I really didn't do anything about it. But this one day in particular, I felt in my spirit that I needed to go speak to this man. And so we get into our apartment. At that time, we just had Hudson. And so we get Hudson situated. I packed up a a few snacks, and I just wanted to go and sit with him and hear his story. Now, before you call me a saint, wow, that's amazing that you would do that. Like I said before, I've not done that before. In fact, many of times when I would see someone that's homeless, I would judge that person. I would look down on that person. I'm wondering if you do the same thing. If you're heading into downtown Cleveland or a a bigger area and you see someone holding a sign, what's your first thought? Oftentimes our first thought is, I'm glad I'm not that person. In fact, not only am I glad I'm not that person, I will never be that person. I have a job. I'm not lazy like them. We think that. Or we think it's one of three things, mental illness, drug addiction, or alcohol addiction. And because of their lifestyle, they deserve to be on the street. Now, you and I aren't gonna say that to the other person in the car, but how often do we look down on people who are homeless, who can't get by on their own? So I needed God to break that thought in me. So I went out and I sat next to this homeless person and we started to talk and this guy was really normal. There wasn't mental illness. There was no addiction there. And so we got to know each other and I don't know if he brought it up or I brought it up. We started to talk about his job. And I said, hey, why don't you have a job? He goes, I can't. I said, well, why can't you? He says, I don't have an ID. I said, well, why don't you have an ID? He said, because I was jumped. Someone stole my wallet, and I don't have an ID. And you can't just go into the DMV and get an ID without other identification, birth certificate, social security card, he doesn't have that either. I found out from this guy that all of life came down on him at the perfect time and it led to him being homeless and he wants to get out of this but he can't because he doesn't have that identification but he's working hard to try to obtain it. And I walked away from him going into my comfortable apartment at the time reminding myself that that person has a story. That person has a name. That person has dreams and hopes just like you and I. It just so happens that he's in a situation that he needs help with during this time. That's exactly what happens to this guy in Acts 3. I mean, if you were to go up to him and say, hey, do you like being physically handicapped? Do you like begging for money? I think he would probably say no. He has a story. He has a history. He has a name. And at that point, he was desperate for people to help him. And if they weren't going to help him or couldn't help him, then he needed a miracle from God to do that. Which goes into verse 3 through 6. Let me read this to you. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver and gold to give you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now remember, this guy, he's sitting at this beautiful gate. He needs money to survive. Peter and John get his attention. He's got to be so excited because someone pays attention to him. And he's expecting money. And these guys go, I don't have any. And this guy was probably like, are you kidding me? Just move along and go worship your God. I don't want to talk to you. I need to to have money. And they say, you know what? What we have, money can't buy. And they say, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Look what happened in verses seven through nine. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, he began to walk, then walking, leaping and praising God. He went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. This passage is beautiful. For many reasons. One of the obvious reasons is that this guy finally gets to walk. Can you imagine being him for the for, for that moment? He has been begging God for a miracle. And then at some point, he probably got old enough where he doesn't even think God exists. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to be here and take the worshippers' money, but there's no way that God really cares about me. And then all of a sudden, this guy, these guys named Peter and John come along and, and they touch him and, he, and he, can, he, he can walk. And not only can he walk, I love that it said he, he stood up, he was leaping and, and praising God. Really, he was probably dancing. Like, if I got up and I couldn't walk for a second, I'd be busting a move, you know? Like, this is incredible, and he's dancing, he's so excited, and then he goes to tell his friends, and he leaves and goes home, doesn't he? No. Imagine that you've been healed, and who are the first people you want to go talk to? You show that you can walk and dance and leap, your family, your friends, right? That's not where he goes. The first steps that this guy can take, he takes into the temple. He wants to praise God. He thanks God for all that he has done. The very first steps that this man can take is not away from God, but towards God. So he can worship him and admire the one who chose him to be healed. How beautiful is that? story goes on. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astonished. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. So imagine that you're there for a moment and you see this guy every time you go into the temple to worship and pray. You know this guy's face. You know the guy's going to ask you for money. And then all of a sudden, you hear this guy speaking and yelling and excited. And you're thinking to yourself, what happened? And then you see this guy who normally has to be carried to the temple. He's dancing. He's leaping. He's praising God. Wouldn't you just have been loved to be there at that moment? Wouldn't it have been amazing to see this man praise God and dance and jump? and leap and do the splits, whatever he's doing at this point. And these guys, they were amazed. They couldn't believe this happened before their very eyes. The problem, though, is that what they looked at was the miracle, but they didn't know who was behind it. They were so focused on this guy walking, they didn't realize who allowed him to walk. And so Peter, he speaks a sermon. Peter loves to give sermons. And he wants to explain to this crowd why this happened, why this guy was healed, what was behind it, or should I say, who was behind it. And when we read this passage, I want you to be thinking, imagine being in the crowd, seeing this happen, and then hearing these words. Acts 12, or excuse me, Acts 3, 12 through 13. Peter, he saw this opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? Why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, who's brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you've handed over and rejected before Pilate despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. It's faith in Jesus' name that has healed him before your very eyes. So, what was the miracle? a trick question because there's two there's a physical miracle that happens obviously this man he cannot walk and the only way that he is going to be able to walk is if god bends the laws of nature And does for this man what only he can do. The only way this man can walk is if God touches his life and allows him to be healed so he can discover freedom for the first time. That is a miracle. But the reason the miracle happened isn't for them to show that there's a miracle, but there's a miracle worker. That there is somebody behind this miracle that wants to do another miracle. What is that miracle? What's the greatest miracle that's ever happened? It's the miracle of a God who has to come to us because we couldn't go to him. It was the miracle of a God who came to this world and lived a perfect life because you and I did not and could not. It was the miracle of a God who wanted a relationship with us and wanted to be in heaven someday, but only he could do that, and so he climbs upon the cross, dies for our sin, dies for death itself. The miracle is that he raises from the grave three days later. No one can leave the author of life in the grave. You see, the miracle was a physical miracle for this person to walk in freedom, but truly the miracle is for all of us so that God can touch us and we too can walk with freedom. We are so shackled down by so many things in our lives that God says in Jesus, I will free the shackles from you and you will be able to live and live in freedom. That's the miracle. And it's so much better than walking. It's life, eternal life changing. That's why Tim Keller, who's so much smarter than me, he says it this way in one of my favorite books of all time, The Reason for God, of miracles. He says, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it, It's Jesus that has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts and that the world we all want is coming. In other words, what Tim Keller is saying here is every time you see a miracle in the Bible, it's pointing to something. It's a signpost to the miracle worker, to the promise keeper to the one that we just sang about. Every miracle that you see is proof that there's something else at work in this world. We call it the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God where Jesus is the king and he's enacting this kingdom here. And in this kingdom where there is darkness, he promises light. Where there is evil, he promises goodness. Where there is uh, despair, there is hope. There's death. This kingdom brings eternal life. And Jesus says, I'm bringing the kingdom here, and guess what? You can be a part of it. I'm offering you a place in this kingdom through my son Jesus. That's the miracle. Every great thing you see is to point to the greater one who's behind it. There's no such thing as a coincidence. It's a God who loves us, who's done whatever he could, and all that we need to have a relation with us. Are you kidding me? That's the miracle. So based on this passage, I want to leave you with two things that I hope that you see this miracle worker doing in your life and in mine. The first is this. Our greatest needs have been fulfilled in Jesus alone. If I were to ask you, what is the person who's physically handicapped, what is his greatest need? What would you say? When you read this story... He would tell us what we read in verse 5. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. At that point, his need was money. Why? So he could survive. Again, he couldn't go to work like you and I, and so he had to have someone give him money. But let me ask you, if he were to get money, would he be back the next day? Yes. See, he never had enough. And so, what is his greatest need? It's not money because you always need more of it. I think all of us would say amen to that. So, maybe his greatest need is to walk. Maybe. What if this guy ends up walking, which he does, and he goes and gets a job and he finally has money so he doesn't have to beg? And maybe at this point now he has a family and he has a career and he's doing all kinds of good things, but he's still empty. He's still unfulfilled. You see, the miracle could be walking, but what happens if he gets used to walking and he's still not satisfied in his heart? It's the same reason why you and I, we can get a promotion, we can have something happen like a marriage or we can move to our dream home or whatever it is and we're still not satisfied. And that's why in Jesus, the greatest miracle isn't a physical healing or a new job, or a partner, the greatest miracle that can happen is that you and I can have a relationship with God, and no one can take that away. You see, the greatest miracle is that when you and I are going through a life situation, and life is falling apart, we have peace. The greatest miracle is when we look into our bank accounts, and we don't like what it says, but we still have contentment. The greatest miracle is that we live in this world and everybody tells us who we should be. This world tears us down and at the end of the day we still have value and worth. The greatest miracle is that when you and I mess up all the time, which we do more than we want to admit, and that there's a second chance for us every single time. The greatest miracle is that we deserve death when we die. The greatest miracle is that after we die we live. You see, all that we need can't be found in what the world can offer us, whether it's money or walking like this guy needed. What we all need is Jesus, and Jesus gives us himself in its fullest. Everything that you need and your heart is longing for, and you feel disappointed in the things that you have, you can find in Jesus, who will satisfy you beyond what you can comprehend. Just like this guy discovers. How do I know that? Because if it truly was him walking, he would have walked away and gone to do a new life. But he walks into the temple praising God that not only can he walk, but he has true freedom in his heart. Jesus satisfies our greatest needs. The second thing that hopefully we notice in this passage is that we get to be involved in the miracle. That we get to be the miracle that someone is looking for. After this man is looking to these guys for money, he's disappointed they don't give it to him, but they have something more than money. Again, verse 6, Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Peter and John say, look, I know that money will help you. But what I have for you is so much more than that. I have Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done on the cross and resurrection, I want you to know him too. And yes, he is physically healed, but again, he's spiritually healed. When this man is clinging to these guys in the temple, and they are going, that man's going to discover more about Jesus than ever. And he's going to discover that walking was just the first step of running, running with Christ. But who does Jesus use to perform this miracle? He doesn't part the skies and shout down to the guy, get up and walk. He uses Peter and John. And what we'll discover next week is Peter and John, they're just normal dudes. Ordinary people, Acts tells us, but ordinary people who've been with Jesus. And because of that, they get to be miracle workers through the miracle workers. So my question to you is this. Who in your life is not walking right now who in your who in your life is struggling? Who is hurting? Who's in need? Who's lonely? Today is such a great day for so many mothers and we get to celebrate them. But I know a lot of people who are aching today because it's Mother's Day. What if we could be the miracle and we gave up some of our own time or some of our own finances or whatever that is to listen to somebody? There is someone who is so sad and lonely that just needs someone to give up time just to sit with them with a cup of coffee and listen to them. For you, it may be complaining. For them, it's them just finally having someone to just value them. You have Jesus. It's the greatest thing that anybody can have. And you get to live through him and give that to somebody else. So often we have the greatest thing we ever have and we hold it for ourselves. Well, I want to go to church. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to do all these things and we hold it. But Peter and John knew the greatest thing they could do is give it away. Who in your life, whether it's your workplace, a spouse, a friend, a coworker, someone in your school, somebody that needs Jesus, and that you can be that miracle worker through them? God doesn't work independently. He has joined us as His Christ' followers, His church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Will you be that? Al Michaels, he asked a really important question to the nation 42 years ago. Do you believe in miracles? My question to you is, do you? My answer is a resounding yes, because only a miracle could fix this man right here (laughs) and continue to be fixed along the way. That miracle of Jesus is available to all of you. Will you accept it? Let's pray together. Jesus, it's through the amazing things that we see who's behind it. It's you. What you've shown us in this story is yes, physical healing is great and we are praying for that for so many in this room. But no matter if we can walk again or not, what matters is we can run in the afterlife. And it was through Jesus on the cross and the resurrection that promises life then and life now. That no matter what we're going through, we are complete and whole and free in him. Show us, Jesus, that you are the miracle worker, that every single day you are up to something and we can either join you in that or ignore it. And Jesus, not only do you want to be a miracle worker for us, you want to work through us to give people what we have and what we have is you. So whoever is that person or people in our lives who need a miracle, may you Perform a miracle, not independently of us, but use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Happy Mother's Day.